Please note, the views presented in this episode are not the views of Patino Payments. The content of this episode is for entertainment and educational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice of any kind. As technology, healthcare, and business continue to evolve at a rapid pace, trailblazers all over the globe are boldly stepping forward to change things for the better. They're pushing past boundaries in every area and charting a new path forward. There's no denying the world as we know it is in the midst of an epic transformation. Welcome to Present Day Pioneers, the podcast exploring the alternative models that are reshaping the way our society thinks, feels, and behaves. I'm your host, Jackson Bokenfort from Patino Payments. Thanks for joining me on this fascinating journey as we catch a glimpse of what the future holds. Now, let's get into the episode. Crypto. It's become a major buzzword in finance and beyond. But how are digital currencies really impacting the world, and what developments will unfold in the near future? In this episode, I'll be sitting down with Eric Richmond, the CEO of Tetra Trust and the COO of CoinSquare. As one of a select few Canadian custodians for digital assets and the first to be licensed as a registered trust company in Canada, Tetra Trust is breaking ground in the space from both a development and regulatory perspective. During my conversation with Eric, we'll explore the rise of digital currencies, how Tetra Trust is changing the game, and what we can expect to see unfold in this area in the near future. Enjoy the episode. All right, Mr. Eric Richmond, I was wondering to kick this show off. Could you tell us the first time you heard of cryptocurrencies and use that as kind of a segue into your career? So the first time I probably heard about cryptocurrency was back in 2015. I was reading probably in the news, hearing about Bitcoin. What is this new currency? Got really, really excited about the prospect of what digital assets can provide for transferring money, in particular from one you know jurisdiction to another. You know, especially going from, you know, for example, from the Canada to the Philippines. There's a lot of money transferring back from those two countries. You know, it was really interesting to me, essentially, that this technology can replace like a Western Union. And that really excited me. And so then I started investigating more about it. At the time, I was a corporate securities lawyer at a, at a large firm in Toronto called Blake Castles and Graydon and started to build up sort of a, a practice in that area towards the end of 2016 going into 2017. And then really got excited about, about the asset class. Obviously, as a corporate securities lawyer, uh, fairly you know, a, a young associate at the time, it was a great opportunity to become an expert in a specific field. And I took that opportunity, grabbed the bull by the horns and essentially became an expert in sort of that field. It was, it was the perfect timing because there was the 2017 kind of ICO boom. There was a ton of kind of nexus between securities law and crypto. And then really just immense myself in, in, in the culture and environment of, of crypto, learning about the different projects that are available, different coins, Obviously, Ethereum took off in, in 2017, and then the rest of the market followed towards the end of the year. And so that really is what, what piqued my interest was really I think in the initial phases, it was like, okay, Bitcoin, money transfer, I get it, right? Like this, this, this makes sense to me. And then, you know, crypto has just exploded into so many different avenues and, and facets of, of everything we do and it can replace so much that we do today. And that's really what, you know, with the with the ICO boom and everything that happened in 2017, you know, while there were a lot of 
projects that that haven't been successful or scams out there, there there really were some really strong projects coming out of that that phase of crypto and those ones that have survived now are are really strong projects right and so would you see the tetra trust as you being the ceo there is that kind of a project that you saw kind of a niche market for you know in early 2018 when you know really looking at the market custody was it was a really relatively new space there was essentially one custodian uh, out there there's there's which was bitgo at the time which was you know trying to solve this custody problem and the custody problem really is is simple it's digital assets are bearer assets meaning they're they're whoever controls the private keys controls the assets and so you need to protect that private key or if you lose it you know those assets are essentially essentially gone and you know for for the the retail market that might not be a problem per se because you know you can use a hardware storage device to, to, to store your assets. But for large institutions or funds, that's a huge problem, right? First, there's a problem there because they don't want to self-custody. Uh, but even the ones that did go down the route of self-custodying, you know, it, it leads to a lot of conflicts and potential for nefarious actors to you know, try to uh, steal assets or, or, you know, or try to do something nefarious. So for example, like, you know, if you think like the Quadriga, you know, fiasco where, they're both custodying and trading coins. You, you typically, and under securities law, you want the custodian to be separate from the registered entity or the trading venue or, or whatever. And that's 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 actually dictated under uh, the national instrument and the securities framework in Canada, and really in, in really any jurisdiction uh, globally. And so we looked at the market, and really there there's a requirement to have a digital asset custodian for you know these sort of registered entities and one didn't exist. Uh, like I said, there's Bitco that that wasn't at the time, wasn't even a trust company in the U S it was just a, a custodian. And we looked at the market and decided, you know, there's a huge opportunity here to meet the requirements in the securities regulation. You need to be either as a custodian, you need to be either a bank or a trust company. Um, and with, along with our partners, we decided to go down the route becoming a trust company. It, and like I said, it started in 2018. And it took us essentially three years to get that approval. And we finally successfully got that certificate of registration in July of 2021. And so that was an exciting time for, for us as now we've really you know, kickstarted our business and, and, and uh, are fully operational and running as of the last six months here. Oh, wicked. Congratulations to Tetra Trust, obviously. One thing that you mentioned before, Eric, was a digital asset custodian. Our listeners might not be too well versed at these topics. So I was wondering if you could kind of just give a little rundown on what a digital asset custodian is. In short, really, the, the, what a digital asset custodian really is, is similar in a way, I won't, but I won't, I'll use the term just as an analogy, but in a way to a bank, right? If you, you don't want to store your cash underneath your mattress, uh, you want to store it in a safe location that you trust. That's essentially what a, uh, a, a digital asset custodian is. It's someone who's holding your assets on your behalf. And the fact that we are a trust company is another legal construct that you put on top of it, which is a trust company in, in I mean, in, in its wording and in, in, in what's under the statute is we are holding those assets in trust for our clients. We act as the fiduciary for our clients. So those assets are not sitting on our balance sheet. They are, we are acting as a, as, a, as, a, as a fiduciary for our clients. And so no ownership or anything is kind of being transferred when those assets are being transferred to us. Essentially, we are, you know, uh, those assets are still owned legally from a legal perspective by 
our clients and then us acting as fiduciary for them are holding those assets uh, in trust for them. Right. So I think one thing worth mentioning for sure would definitely be hot storage versus cold storage for those listeners. So I'm going to kind of give a brief rundown of what those are, and I'm going to kind of get corrected by you as I go along. But let's see if I can hammer this out here. So hot storage is when you have your cryptocurrencies held on the internet. Now, it's very convenient, but it is sometimes seen as a little bit more risky because you are open to the potential to hacks. Um, That differs from cold storage, where cold storage is off the internet. It's a little less convenient because it could be seen as slower. And once again, you're not vulnerable to those hacks. Is that kind of is that kind of on the right track? Yeah, no, that, that's pretty much spot on. I mean, uh, where you typically hear about the quote unquote hacks, actually, the only times you ever hear about the hacks is, is hot wallets or, or the assets being exposed somewhere on the internet. That's typically where it happens. So the, the general practice for people is the assets you want to trade on a day to day basis you have in your hot the assets that you want to just, you know, only need in, you know, once a day, for, for example, you'd leave in your cold. Now, the one unique thing that we've done at Tetra is try to bridge that timing. So some, you know, some custodians right now, cold storage custodians, it could take up to 24, 48 hours to withdraw your assets from cold. Uh, we do have an SLA that during business hours, we can get those assets to you in, in under 30 minutes. And that's something that we've, you know, we've, uh, we've built into our, into our process and, and what's unique about the technology we have that it enables us to do that. Um, it doesn't necessarily require some of these cold storage drives actually require like a human touch point with the the offline cold storage assets, and that's one thing that you know we're we're fortunate enough, and I think is a, is a key selling point for for Tetra is that we're able actually to access these assets in a lot quicker and efficient manner than than some of our competitors. Uh, so you don't really necessarily at the end of the day need to make it the trade off solution between hot and, and cold. You can just you know have it all in cold. Right. And you pretty much nailed my next question. That was going to be, why would storing with Tetra be more viable option than cold storage? But it is, it's just a lot more convenient for your customers. And it, it it's almost like you have that human interface as well, right? As opposed to it just being like a USB stick, you actually have somebody there that you can hold that with that you would know. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the protocols behind what we've, you know, the, the, the SOC audits and the security audit that we had to do, the diligence that the both our insurance, the insurance provider that provides insurance for the company and our regulator had to do was very extensive. We do build into our kind of withdrawal process a, a human touch point to ensure that the user at the end of the, the user actually requesting the withdrawal is in fact not, you know, not a fraudster of any sort. And so, yeah, there, there is that, that you know, it, it, it does provide that element of comfort where like, you, you know, your assets are are safe and secure. You don't need to be concerned with, storing your assets, you know, in some sort of safe at, at some corporate headquarters and, you know, really have the technologies built. To, there's, there's a few core principles, right? Like no assets can be moved without consensus of both Tetra staff and our clients. So that, that's critical as well. Like Tetra staff can't move any of the assets unless the clients really are actioning it. And, uh, you know, there's no single point of failure. If there was a disaster, we're able to recover with geographically dispersed backups. So there's all these protocols in place that are really have become the requirements of what's needed from a from from a custodian perspective and, and is what we've we've built and brought to uh to Canada under the trust company framework. Um, I think we touched base on this just a little bit, but I would like to jump back and find out how you ended up as the CEO of Tetra Trust. What was kind of that ladder that you took to get there? Yeah, good question. So yeah, so as I mentioned, I I, I was a corporate lawyer 
And then I joined as the head of legal uh, at a company called CoinSquare. Uh, CoinSquare at the time was really the only, the second exchange in Canada. There was two at the time. It was Quadriga and CoinSquare. Um, and CoinSquare was kind of the up and coming exchange. Um, so joined them as their head of legal, ran their legal operations for two and a half years. And then CoinSquare is, uh, you know, it's a shareholder of, of, of Tetra and I like to say incubated Tetra along with one of our shareholders, Odyssey Trust Company, which is a transfer agent trust company based in Alberta. And along with them, we kind of kickstarted uh, Tetra. From the CoinSquare angle, I was the, you know, the lead project and then naturally became the CEO of that business, um, obviously having a lot of the institutional knowledge behind it. And then one thing we did do closer to getting registered, which as I mentioned, we were we completed our certificate of registration uh, in 2021, was bring in other institutional investors. So we're now backed by, uh, you know, in addition to CoinSquare and Odyssey Trust, we're backed by uh, Urbana Corporation, Caldwell Financial, we're backed by uh, Coinbase Ventures, Mogo, uh, Canadian Securities Exchange, among others. And so we've really brought in a unique, diverse investor group, investor base, that are all strategics kind of partners for this business to, to help Tetra flourish here. Yeah, holding uh, two C-suite seats. Pretty impressive, man. Good for you. Thanks. The story of Tetra Trust reminds me of the old saying, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. By recognizing the potential of digital currencies early on, Eric was able to capitalize on the growing movement and become an expert in the field before the market became oversaturated. So when he and the team decided to take the route of becoming a trust company, everything came together beautifully. The company hit the ground running and kicked into high gear when it mattered most. This goes to show that timing often plays a key role when it comes to riding the wave of a transformation, and Eric was right on schedule when he launched Tetra Trust. I was wondering if you could also share with us some of the initiatives that you're currently working on at Tetra Trust to kind of give potential customers a background on what you could be looking forward to. So our focus really at the the end of the day is cold, but there are some of the things that we are hoping to launch uh, early in 2022 here. Obviously, you see the explosion of NFTs. There needs to be custody for for the, for those assets. These assets are very valuable. Some of them in the you know millions, millions of dollars. And what's unique about NFTs is if you are properly custodying them, you can still benefit from using them you know everywhere on the internet without needing to you know take it from 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 custody. That's one area that we're really looking at. Staking is another area that we are close to launching, which will provide the ability for our users to stake directly from cold. Uh, staking, just for the people listening, is a is another way to uh, essentially prove a transaction on the blockchain. So there's something called proof of work, another called proof of stake, where essentially you are staking, where you're essentially betting on the next block. And if you and if you're you're not a fraudulent actor, you get earn, you earn interest on that. And so that's that's the type of offering that we are rolling out to our user base uh, soon here. And we're also looking towards the you know mid to end 2022, looking at offering lending and borrowing for our client base. Obviously, they have those digital assets in cold storage. We would like to offer an ability for them to earn interest on those assets. Obviously, that is subject to regulatory approval, but that's something we are working with our our regulator to get approval of. And then, yeah, a lot more 
other fun initiatives uh, and products that are that are in store here for for 2022. But those are kind of the, the high level ones that that we're, we're focused on here. It's really cool. You spoke about NFTs and I was reading something on the internet the other day about this company called Pudgy Penguins. I don't know if you ever heard about them. Yeah, of course. I don't know if this was a scam or not, but if they did, they did it very well. And they basically, um, for those people listening, they had a whole bunch of digital art pieces come out that if it was a penguin wearing a hat or a mustache or glasses, and they made them into NFTs and then they sold them. They went on um, different news outlets. They went on Twitter, Reddit, and they kind of pumped up this pudgy penguins um, image. And then they sold it to these people at some pretty crazy prices. So there's so there's so many different things coming out, whether scams or not, or if you actually do want to end up paying five hundred thousand dollars for uh, to be a one of one owner of a penguin wearing a hat. So there's it's it's very cool, kind of what's going on as well as scary. Yeah, I mean the market's exploded. Like you said, there are a lot of interesting and cool initiatives right now. There's obviously the the, the art, like that's what people really think about it is the art behind it but people don't realize that there's these full communities behind each of these projects and that's what's been really exciting that's why you see like i saw today the gap is now an own nft line adidas obviously got in with board eight yacht club and and uh, uh metaverse and, and all the and the crypto punks and you see you see like it's, it's actually the communities that have formed around these nft projects that's really impressive and then on top of that you have all these DAOs, right these uh decentralized autonomous organizations where you might have seen or some of your listeners might have heard about the constitution DAO, where uh you know basically the crypto community tried to buy a, the, U, the u.s constitution and they raised roughly like 40 million dollars in like a very short period of time and then got outbid by ken griffin at citadel but uh yeah i know there's just a lot of interesting projects i think this year in my view 2022 will be you know nfts was, was exploded in 2021 i think you'll start seeing you know, a little bit of the floor coming down on some of these projects, but a lot of these legitimate projects and a lot of DAOs really taking formation in 2022. I think that's where really where we're heading because there's just so many unique ways that this technology can be leveraged. So then that'll kind of bump me into my next question here. How can the average person, the institutional banker or people that are uh, used to your classic bank accounts, how can they benefit from the crypto revolution? Even the retail, institutional, whatever, I mean, the first thing is always just get yourself knowledgeable about the technology. Like there's a ton of ton of resources out there. Understand the different projects. Crypto, like I'm in the space and the amount of things and projects going on in crypto is massive. It is impossible to stay up to, to date on everything going on. But, you know, pick the areas where you're the most interested. And if obviously the biggest one right now being, you know, Bitcoin or, uh, you know, Bitcoin acting as a hedge to inflation and the market in general acting a hedge to inflation. Like if that's an area of interest, learn about it, understand Bitcoin, understand the, the, the you know, how it can be a, essentially a digital gold, why it's unique, why the properties are there. You know, read about the the um, the different institutional investors that have now adopted Bitcoin or speaking positively about Bitcoin. And and yeah, you know, essentially start uh, learning about it. And if, and if that... If, if when you read it, you're like, you're, you're bought in, then obviously making an investment. And I think at this point, like, I think, especially seeing, I think yesterday, US announced they had 7% inflation, right? Like having a, a small piece of Bitcoin as essentially a hedge to your overall portfolio, I think is, it's kind of the sentiment that you start seeing now with large uh, investors who really understand the tech are, are starting to make that 
that allocation to. Essentially, it's like, well, it'd be foolish at this point not to have a little bit of Bitcoin in addition to your, you know, your gold allocation, your stocks and bonds and et cetera in your portfolio, because that's, you know, people are really viewing it as, as, as that alternative to gold. I'd like to jump forward into what some people find a boring topic, but I'd like to pick your brain on it. And those are regulatory changes. What are some that we need to either adapt or the regulatory hurdles that we need to get over in order to usher in this new age of personal finance? There's been clarity over the past couple of years, but the problem is that the technology moves a lot faster than the regulations. So if we were still sitting in, let's call it 2017, Right. I'd say, okay, the regulations have finally caught up. We finally understand, okay, this is how crypto trading platforms and, and I'll talk Canada and the US here for a sec, but like, you know, both in Canada and the US, how they need to get regulated. If they were trading, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum, we know what kind of they need to do. The problem is, is that 2018 or 2019, I guess, was the year DeFi, right? And like that exploded, right? And like the regulations haven't caught up to that, right? And that's kind of the new phase that they're trying to sort out. You see, uh, you know, in the U.S., the SEC, um, uh, Gary Gensler start making comments about, you know, the, the DeFi world and how securities regulation applies to it. That's the piece that still needs to be kind of sorted. And, you know, what's, what's interesting that's going on in the U.S. right now is there is a kind of this people thought that, you know, there'd be a, you know, a new SEC commissioner that was kind of pro crypto. Um, and it turned out to be the opposite. It's actually, you know, we've, it almost felt it feels like a little bit in the U.S. that they've taken a step backwards in terms of adopting the innovativeness of this of this technology um but we'll see we'll see how those regulations unfold un, unfold there's like what, what's really cool i find now in the in the u.s is that there are a lot of uh, senators and congress men and women that have really understand this technology uh, there's people in the sec like obviously like hester pierce um that she just she knows the space inside and out um and, and she's done an, an excellent job they're trying to formulate regulation that that will protect investors and achieve what the SEC wants to achieve, but also not hurt hurt the industry. And yeah, I mean, like in, in short, it, it's really just a game of catch up at this point. So I think it's important for regulators to really understand the space. And when they're regulating it, like the, the problem is that they're still trying to apply rules from, you know, the 1930s to a new technology class, and they need to be flexible in their approach. And I think they're they're trying to get there. But because the technology is moving so fast, like, you know, I mentioned that where they're still trying to figure out DeFi. Well, the next phase that they're going to have to start figuring out is NFTs. It's a, it's a game of catch up at the moment. And I think it's really important that regulators balance the investor protection issues with not stifling the industry because, you know, it, it's very possible that, you know, in some, in some of the things you see announced, that, that could happen. Right. You mentioned the states kind of uh, taking a step backwards with who they put on the kind of uh, crypto helm there. Where do you see Canada? Are they slower? Or are they kind of a bit faster? What's your perspective on that? I think we've actually taken a leg up now. If you asked this question to me about a year ago, I would probably, or a year and a half ago, I would probably say uh, slower or behind. What I mean in particular is that in Canada, you know, we have Bitcoin ETFs now, Ether ETFs. They don't have those in the U.S. Getting that, you know, that clarity from our regulators was, was, you know, that's a huge distinction from the U.S. regulatory world at the moment. And then, you know, there has now been clear guidance on how exchanges need to be regulated. So I think Canada has played a, you know, Canada's position is they're trying to protect uh, investors. What I find interesting now, though, is that 
they are really, the way they've kind of structured the framework, you know, they're really trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. And there's a lot of exemptions that you see need to be granted. Like it really does not fit with the current regs. So they have kind of figured out the basics, like how crypto trading platforms should work. There, there are still a lot of, you know, spots where it doesn't really fit. And as we continue to progress, like, you know, if we talk about lending and staking and NFTs and DeFi and all these other areas, like there's, there's definitely no regulatory clarity in any of those areas. And, and it's really like as a security lawyer, looking at the laws that kind of are, are provided to our, you know, our securities commissions across the country, it's really, it'll be really interesting to see how they apply those rules to kind of these new technologies. And so we'll see. I mean, there hasn't been many public statements uh, in Canada related to some of these new initiatives uh, like there has been in the U.S. So, so I can't comment how the, the regulators here are, are, are looking at that. But what I can say is that, yeah, like, you know, if we were, if we were like I said, if we were sitting in 2017, I would say, yeah, there's, there's clarity now on, on where we're at, but we're not anymore. We're, 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 we're years ahead of that at this point. Totally. Okay. So if I were to take a crown and place it on your head, King Eric, and you are now the king of the world, because this space is so volatile, what do you hope to see take place in this space over the next year or even going up to five years? Okay. Good question. First off, I mean, like if we're looking at Ethereum, just as an example, Ethereum is powering all of these new marketplaces. When I, when I say DeFi, I mean NFTs, that's more or less all on the Ethereum network. Uh, there are a few networks that are coming to the fold, but I think Ethereum has really stated its dominance in those areas. You know, one of the critical things that will be happening hopefully this year that will change the game a little bit on the Ethereum side is uh, moving to Ethereum 2.0. What's exciting there is that they're moving from, as I mentioned earlier, from a proof of work environment to a proof of stake environment. The critical piece though is reducing the, the fees. Right, the gas fees that are associated with dealing on some of these platforms ha- is becoming now a hindrance to, you know, the true retail investors or, or some of these projects. Like it does cost a lot to move Ethereum, and there are other protocols that that try to solve that solution. But ultimately, having the, the base layer solve that problem would be the best. Um, and so that's really an exciting. Like if that happens, I think that can really help the explosion of. Like it really help the scalability side of of, of the platforms. Um, and then you do see a lot of new legitimate projects out there that that are exciting. And so really where what I hope to see in the space is, you know, continual adoption by by both institutional and retail investors, both on the, the money side, but also just in all these other areas where blockchain and crypto can can really help in everyday life. And and yeah, I think I think there's a really potential for a large growth here in many many different areas and it's it's important that we're you know there if we if we think back to you know some of the fraudulent activity that that's been out in the space i think some of that has been flushed out obviously ideally hopefully more of that gets flushed out um and these legitimate projects start gaining more prominence and that's really what's what started to happen here so you know i, I do think there will be a point in time where the crypto market Overall, like from a market capitalization standpoint, flips gold, um, or in particular, Bitcoin flips gold. And I see, you know, this this market right now it's a two trillion dollar market, like easily fifteen trillion dollar market in the next few years, or especially as we're expanding into other 
types of asset classes that you know can really be replaced or or, or complemented by this technology. One of the things that you mentioned, I think, that is a big kind of sticking point, and hopefully the regulations can kind of skim this out, but is that fraudulent activity? I feel like a lot of the people that are cautious about cryptocurrencies, one of their sticking points is definitely fraudulent activities. So I hope that those regulators can kind of skim that out, and then that'll just bring an influx of a lot of people coming forward. You'll see a lot more volume. But like you said, those big projects that are are taking place, whether it be Ethereum, it's it's good for the planet, and it, it's good from a, a speed perspective as well. Yeah, no, uh, 100%, 100%. Well, on that note, I would like to thank you for coming on the podcast, Eric. I think there's a lot of people that can learn a ton from you, whether it be CoinSquare or from Tetra Trust. So uh, do you kind of want to end it off with where we can find you at, where we can learn more about Tetra Trust? Yeah, just uh, you can go to our website, tetratrust.com. Uh, if you scroll down to the bottom, you will see our Twitter or LinkedIn emails to reach out. Uh, yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for having me, Jackson. Great, great to speak to everyone here. And uh, yeah, feel free to reach out if, if anything. Appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. The story of Tetra Trust is a fascinating one. Here are some of my key takeaways from our discussion. By taking a good look at the market and identifying the gaps, Eric and the team at Tetra Trust were able to carve out a unique niche for themselves in the landscape. While there may have been some luck on their side, Eric and the team ultimately used research and data to their advantage to make the right move at the right time. Eric noted that Tetra Trust separates themselves from the competition by allowing the customer to access their assets with greater speed and efficiency. Providing an added layer of convenience is always a plus for any business, and Tetra Trust took advantage of the technology available to optimize their offering. Overall, Eric's perspective shows us that crypto is here to stay and it's only going to continue to explode in the near future. As the market continues to find new use cases for this technology, we're going to see cryptocurrencies replacing or complementing many of the asset classes we have today. Thanks for listening to Present Day Pioneers. I hope you learned something valuable from today's episode and that you're feeling inspired to forge forward boldly into a better future. I'm your host, Jackson Bokenfor. Be sure to tune in for the next episode and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast.